This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. She is a, I want to start with the ordained minister part, because that just love that. Um, and a psychologist. You know her as Dr. Robin. Let me welcome back to the show, Dr. Robin Smith. Welcome. Oh, muted. You're muted, fearless one. You're muted. You're muted. I'm sorry. My That's goodness. Okay. I mean, I've spent my life trying to have my voice. So I don't, and isn't that interesting that sometimes we mute ourselves and don't know that some of our needs could be met, but we have shut down voice because we've been accustomed to other people listening. So thank you for telling me that you couldn't hear me. I want to be heard. Oh, you will find out all the things from me. That's the one malady I never, I never ever could not keep quiet. You could ask my mom who would try to twist my lips off. Anyway, Dr. Smith, I'm having specs right now. Shut up. <laughs> um, we're in a time and I wanted you to come on like after the election and all of the stuff to suss through all of this cognitive dissonance that we're having is this, uh, and I know there's a psychological, like America has a, like a mental illness, uh, where we don't accept facts. We don't want to accept people. We don't want to accept reality. Where does that reside in our medulla? Is it in the medulla? Is it someplace else? Where's that space of yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, and I'm hoping you're going to be reading something from me sometime soon about this, because um, America is sick, um, are sick, and it is a disease. It's a heart disease, and it's a mind disease. We've been brainwashed, um, and as you said, not like people to think that um, there are people, particularly black and brown people, who were... Uh, who it was said we were only three-fifths a human being. And one would have to ask, how did that even work? You know, how is it possible that for those of us um, of African descent, that it was said and believed? And that's what's dangerous about it, is that it became the real pandemic long before COVID-19. So, you know, part of the illness is around denial and around uh, not to share power. I heard when I was listening to some of your other callers, this issue of home ownership, um, the ability to have agency and navigate our lives, whether it's medically or psychologically, certainly financially. When you take that away from someone and you say that you've done it because they are uh, worthy of it. You know, I was just, I did a talk for a corporation a couple of days ago. And one of the things I was, and I was talking about race, about race and uh, belonging and othering, how we make people other than us. And then when we don't um, see them like a human being or see them as worthy, we ascribe uh, any kind of treatment to them. And one of the things I talked about on uh, on Monday with this group had to do with how it is that we could make people believe a lie. You know, Dr. King said in his uh, speech in Alabama, uh, the Capitol, and when I saw you last, Karen, who would have thought, yes, election and Georgia was going to be uh, you know, running at the beginning of January, but who would have thought that our state, I mean, that the Capitol of the United States would have been taken? Um, it does surprise me 
because there were, you know, there was a lot of intelligence about it. But Dr. King said in 1965 in Alabama, in Mississippi, part that uh, he said, you know, no lie can forever. And I think that is so powerful that no lie lives, whether it is a structural lie of racism or some of the lies that have been in our families that we've been living out, that no lie can live forever. And so I think part of what is happening to America is we are coming apart at the seams because the seams were never sewn with integrity. Mm. And so the lie is falling apart. And I would say, thank God that, that the lie is falling apart. Uh, there's a, a book written Buddhist monk, a woman, her name is Children, and she has a book called When Things Fall Apart. And one of the things she talks about and I talk to people about all the time is many of us, we should have stock in crazy glue because we are crazy gluing our marriages, our friendships, our health. We're pretending to be well when we are sick. And so America has been crazy gluing itself along the way. And at this point, our report card came in and we are failing. We're not, we're not getting E's or C's. We just simply are failing. And the sooner we own our failure, the better we can recover. You know, when we talk about truth and reconciliation in any area, race in particular, I keep hearing people say, you know, we need to, we need to heal. I'm thinking, well, yeah, but you can't heal from something that you haven't willing to own and diagnose. So how in the world would I be in recovery from a drug addiction if I'm not owning that I'm an addict? How can I make my money work for me if I don't tell the truth about my inability or unwillingness to be mindful and responsible with my money. And so America cannot cure itself. It can't heal itself from something that is unwilling to. You know, you mentioned truth and, and reconciliation and I'm always fascinated by uh, post-genocidal societies and the steps that these genocidal societies have to engage in in order to reconcile what happened because if you are part of the Hutu community or the Tutsi community, you're not leaving. You're not all moving away. You're, you're, you're essentially stuck. You're rooted there, I should say. Um, and you had been for centuries, millennia before the inf influence of supremacy through colonization, and you have to still be able to coexist inside. Same thing we see in South Africa, uh, post-Nazi uh, uh, Germany era. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of post-genocidal society that actually take honest steps towards truth and reconciliation. I yes. don't see the same, as you say, integrity, intentionality, reconciling what has happened here. I, I see the, the further perpetuation of it. And I, I guess what is, because I, I think you might have more optimism about this than I do. So I'm looking for some Dr. Robin. Mm -hmm. um, what are your projections or, or, or predictions about the ability of this country, the, the capacity for this country yeah. to engage in the type of internal excavation that has to happen in order for us to get to that space? You know, it's a wonderful uh, point in perspective and certainly understand your lack of hope 
um, as I said, and watched um, all of what has been happening, but certainly what happened at the Capitol that five people are dead and many other people are injured. Um, and it could have been a, a bloodbath, mm. um, absolute bloodbath. And so the question that you're posing is, are we ready to do the work? Yeah. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Are we ready to do the work? And what would that look like? So America is an arrogant country. Mm. I mean, I'm American, born here. I have privileged in many ways because of And, um, not but, and I'm also aware that we have a very hard time honoring and acknowledging our shadow. I mean, that's the stuff about us we don't like. And we all have that. I mean, there are things about us in our personal life, uh, hopefully, that we are becoming more aware of as people so that we can work on ourselves. I mean, that's how you work on a marriage. It's how you work on a friendship. It's how you work on something between uh, colleagues at work. But you can't work on something that you are in denial of. And so a piece of this, uh, and I, the reason I hold hope uh, for the country is because we are melting down faster than anyone could imagine. Mm -hmm. And so my, my perspective about meltdowns and explosions and implosions is that that is the time when real transformation is possible in a life, in a family, in a marriage. If it is ever going to happen, it happens when things really fall apart. So I don't think we've hit them yet. And one might say, Dr. Robin, what do you mean we've not hit bottom? Could it get worse? Of course it can. I mean, we had brother George Floyd uh, murdered and we watched his breath leave him. Uh, we watched his life force leave him and his life became even more meaningful. I, you know, sometimes I think that uh, particularly around racism, is that if someone understood what taking a life might mean for that life becoming larger than life, they may have let him live. Mm. Because his death and the way he died, begging for his death, gave life to a movement that would not happen had that police officer taken his knee off of his neck. So he gave his life, his life was taken, but then it called forth into the villages and the tribes and our communities and our neighborhoods all around the globe calling us to action. And so what I believe is happening is that this is a moment of opportunity. Mm. The more we melt down, the more as a trauma surgeon, meaning for the heart and soul, a physical surgeon, but for the unseen injuries of life, I believe that this could be a beginning, a beginning, a reckoning of the parts of history, what we've done to Native Americans. They were here before we were uh, captured and brought here. And so there's a lot of work around trauma. I also want to remind us that traumatized people, and this is everyone, I mean, it's not black people or brown or red people, it's white people too, but traumatized people, untreated traumatized people, and people who do not know they are traumatized are dangerous. Mm. Wow. And the 
part of why the former president was dangerous. This right. may not be a, a particularly uh, popular thing I'm about to say, but he is, he was and is so damaged that was capable of damaging anyone and everyone. Mm -hmm. And so if we understand that the house of evil often abides in very traumatized, damaged people, it hurt doesn't, it's, it's hurt, right. pe hurt people. That's the phrase that we hear, Absolutely. but we don't really internalize hurt people, hurt people, because when those hurt people are hurting people, we you don't give a damn about their hurt because we're experiencing the hurt on the other side. But your hurt is you're going to have to deal with it because you are now destroying everything. Right. But what we don't know is when we elect people, and that's what I've said that we, I mean, whoever is in the White House needs to have been in therapy, needs mm -hmm. to be in therapy mm -hmm. when they are in that office. It ought to be mandatory. Come on now. But if you want to have the power to push a button answer a phone and say, get ready, go to a nuclear war, surely you should have examined and be in active examination about your mommy and daddy mm. issues and wounds. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lori, wait, hold on. Let me give out the number. 866-801-8255. And if, uh, you know, Dr. Robin's here. She's going to be here for the duration of the show. Uh, so call up. So that being true, and I accept, fully accept everything you just said as truth. And I, I thank you for that because a lot of times I ask these questions and then I feel like the answers get us like 10% of the way there. And I feel like you just, that was a perfect crystallization for me of the things that we should expect from leadership. How to take that same lesson and apply it to a marriage, apply it to a relationship uh, with a parent, with a, a sister, a sibling, uh, whatever, our interpersonal relationships in the workplace. Because I think that we see, one of the things I, I think that, that this may also be unpopular, that was so attractive to some people about our ex-president, and he will never be, you know, what, he who shall not be named the ex, um, is that he was a mirror for so many traumas that so many people who are aligned with him are also experiencing. How do we recognize that we too can be carrier that type of, of not just having been abused and victimized, but also then victimizing and perpetrating that abuse on others? How do we get that lesson, that gem that you just laid out about the presidency and apply it to our own day-to-day -day interactions and relationships? Yeah. It's wonderful um, moment. I was thinking, and I think about these things obviously all the time, but today I was out in between, it's been a jam packed week for me. And I thought, okay, I want to get outside and just get some air and walk. So I was telling myself, you know, should I, shouldn't I have a few minutes and thought, okay, practice what you teach, which is put your own mask on, um, you know, take care of yourself so that I could be present to you and not be walking dead tonight where I'm here, but I'm not really here, where I show up, but I'm not really present. And so one of the things I thought about on this quick uh, walk had to do with how much we blame people for what is not working in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, how much responsibility we put at the foot or feet of someone else because we really don't want, again, to look at our shadow and to ask, there's one question to ask 
at least to in this conversation, which is what is my contribution to this mess? Mm. What is my contribution to this suffering? What is my contribution to my own ache? Because if it is only about the other, A, it requires them to change for me to be free. So that's a real problem because that means I have to depend on you for my freedom. And that's a problem. And that's number one. Number two is that if I have to depend on you, then you own me because you then can make my day and you can break it. You can make my life and my moment and can destroy it. And so the question I would ask everyone who's listening and watching and, and being with us in this moment is what is it that, and this isn't to blame you, but it is to say that all of us are victim and perpetrator. And many of us only want to see the part of ourselves that is victim. He didn't, she didn't, my mother did, I get it. I mean, family, my mother just died eight months ago. Um, She had a vibrant, extraordinary life. She was uh, fiery and beautiful and uh, lived about 10 minutes. That was sometimes too close and sometimes too far. And I say that because her mother lived to 108 and a half, my grandmother, Uh, the daughter of a freed slave. My mother died at 98. Again, not COVID, strong, in her right mind, just gone and finished, finished her work. But she had planned to live to be 108 at least like her mother. But I had the privilege and the the gift of watching my mother as an old person with her mother, who was obviously old, and my mother's sister. And I watched their dynamics. I watched my mother and her sister still trying to please my grandmother who not be pleased. And my mother would hate that I'm telling you this. Anytime I'm giving a speech or a sermon, I'd say, oh, my mother's having a pain. And people would say, what's wrong? I said, oh, she just knows that I've been standing long enough to tell you something real about who you are (laughs) as people. But I say that because I said to my mother, mommy, I'm going to tell you something. I love grandmommy. Um, I honor her. I mean, her journey, grandfather died early. My grandmother raised, you know, kids on her own and all that stuff that we as black women can do. I said, but it's not okay Mm. that she harms people with her tongue. And if you think that being a daughter means that I'm going to replicate this with you, fail now. Wow. Fail me now. And so I say that because I blame my mother if I want to, if she said something I didn't like, which sometimes she did. But what was my contribution to the suffering? It may have been that if I decided to take it and let it go because we're to honor our parents and all those things, which there is that there's truth in that, but there's a That's the scripture that says, honor your mother and your father that your days may be long. People do not know this. The very next line says, and parents provoke not your children to wrath. That's right. People are like, did you make that up? I'm like, no, they are. (laughs) It's up to the women should be quiet in the church. (laughs) 
Well, right. I mean, on your parents, but it's telling parents, don't piss your kids off. That's right. You know, I mean, there, there is a, a mutuality in respect. And so the real issue is that we ask if somebody's walking over you, then maybe the issue is not only them, but is it is the way in which you participate, the way in which you go along to get along, the way in which you said yes to the uh, for to have lunch time five mm-hmm. when your feelings got hurt time one. So maybe the issue is mine about I don't know how to protect myself, and that is the thing to focus on, that I don't know how to take care of me. Dr. Robin is here, Dr. Robin Smith. Uh, In the break, I was telling you a little bit about a project that I'm working on with somebody. And, you know, they hit me last night with, um, you know, they're going all of these things and why are these things happening to me? And this one, my mother, my father, this, this, that, and the other, you know, and, and, and if there's a God, you know, how does God let a child die? And this person's still alive. These evil people are still living. And yet Chadwick Boseman's not here. I mean, he went through this whole thing. And, uh, when he was done, I was like, you know, you're in that God in this, like, uh, as his father that's sitting in the clouds and not doing anything as the world is imploding and you know, God should be doing something opposed to looking at yourself. Like the ocean is vast, but you take a drop of water out of it, it's the same properties. You're like that to God. Right. So where's the God in you? Right. So I turned it around, but I don't know if I gave him a good enough answer. So I'm, I'm struggling right now. So, um, what, how did he respond? And then I have a, I have a thought I want to share, but how did he respond? He said that. He, he sat back because um, I was like, the reflection is like all God or a piece of God. We're all same properties of that ocean one drop of water has, right? So if you don't get up every day at yourself, your contribution to humanity, instead of calling on God to do something, ask yourself, what am I doing? And t- so I gave him homework. I was like, the next three to five days, say nothing negative. Don't start a sin. This outward thing, you know, d- and catch yourself, you know, like I stopped cursing along, go using the F word and, and a couple of words, right? Because my, my normal way of speech is, is already very intense for some people. So I made a conscious, I'm not going to curse people out. It will just get, but when I started on journey, I caught, I was like, man, I curse a lot. <laughs> I was, you know, I was like, and it was difficult getting to not use those words because they became habit. And I said, mm-hmm. you're, you have a habit right now. So just journal, write down every time you feel like you want to say something negative about somebody, just stop yourself. So that was, that was my advice. That's beautiful. No, I love that intervention. And I'll tell you why. A, you didn't shame him for his struggle. Um, so often when we are blaming your people, we're suffering. And instead of articulating, I'm suffering, we start talking about those uh, faith. Why isn't God doing something? You know, again, Dr. King, I mean, how long? Not long. No lie can live forever. You know, they will reap what they sow. And we know that faith without works is dead. So it means that If I think that God is a puppet and some, you know, that he's going to, as you said, he or she is going to move the strings and alleviate all suffering, uh, A, that means that I have no free will. 
it means that actually God is doing uh, everything, which would make me crippled as a person. And so a part of this journey, I believe in life and the faith journey as well, is to ask what movement am I being asked to make so that my life or the life of other people can be better, can be different. And I think that, you know, when you're the person you're talking about, about Chadwick's death, I mean, that is a um, such a loss to us as a people. But what's interesting is he lived his life. He ran his race. He did not lean back into his medical suffering, his physical suffering. And I think to even use Chadwick as an example, like, you know, kind of like why didn't God save him when he's allowed uh, evil people, mean people to live? Maybe we need to take a page out of Chadwick's uh, book, figure out in the face of despair, in the face of disappointment and ache, and even the valley of the shadow of death, how to live until we are gone. So I think that blaming people becomes a convenient place of hiding from the work that is mine to do. We all could blame somebody. And usually many of us could blame a lot of somebodies, but it won't get us anywhere. And it drains us and it drains the man you're talking about of his creativity because blame squashes the spirit. It squashes our vitality and our passion and our creativity and our aliveness. So part of why blame, living in blame is destructive is because it makes you feel powerless and helpless and impotent to live a meaningful life. It doesn't work. That's the bottom. It does not work. I mean, people have been married to horrific human beings who one might question if they're really human. People have been abused sexually by their biological parents. And some of those people have made courageous choices and decisions every single day that even though that abuse happened, it would not dictate their entire lives. But it's a choice. It's a choice that we must make every day about what our perspective is. Your decision to stop using F word in particular, it was a choice. And once you made the decision, you got to witness A, how much you were using it, and maybe, you started thinking about what was it behind that? Because sometimes telling somebody F you actually cheapens what needs to be said. What really needs to be said. For you curse someone out, what would it mean for me to tell you badly you've hurt me? Mm. Very different than to curse someone out an easier way than to feel the pain. Dr. Robin is in the house. Dr. Robin, 866-801-8255. You are spot on. Let's head over to the phones. Let's uh, go to Robinson in Florida. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hey, Robinson. 
and Miss uh, Robin. Uh, I was just, um, how you doing? Good, good, brother. Uh, I was just, I was like what you said that people who are traumatized, they are dangerous. And at this moment, I'm kind of dangerous because I have been traumatized. I have six sisters. I got five above me, one up under me. And a man, I feel my job is to try to protect them. But if they don't allow you women to protect them because they feel that they got this woman movement, like my one particular sister, her husband is a drunk and he jumps on her. Now, I want to fly to Florida and go up there and let him have it. But I also have a family out here, and I have a wife and, and, and a couple of kids. So then my job, they're not doing the things they're supposed to do, taking money from me that they shouldn't be. And I don't know how to fight this. And it just give you trauma and anxiety and anger. And like you say, it's dangerous. So uh, what, what do you do to, besides reading the Bible, because if I didn't, I probably would have flipped out. You know, so I it just, you're right. Yeah, you know, Robinson, thank you for um, your, your courage and your honesty. You know what I, the first thing I love that you say is A, you've had trauma. You said, and therefore I'm dangerous. So the first part of this is the ownership that you are feeling helpless because you feel that your job, your role is cover your sisters and you're not, you're unable to, you're supporting them in certain ways, helping them. They're taking from you and, and they're taking maybe money, not taking your advice. And some of what we're talking about is your own self-care. Talked about you have a wife, you have kids. So sometimes the best example and the best way we can support someone is live um, the life we would hope they would live. You know, sometimes living, taking care of yourself, Robinson, saying, them, you know what, I care. Uh, but it feels to me like you're making some decisions, which is your right, that are dangerous to you. And as sturdy as I am, I actually am a black man who doesn't plan to go to jail where they have a special place made for me. Um, I'm going to take care of myself, my wife and my children. And I hope that you will learn to do the same because often we think that loving someone means that we will down the tubes with them and that that's a sign of love. It's actually a sign of being dependent and of not feeling that our life, our lives matter more than the lives of, of anyone else. And so I want you to think about how to, to take care of the part of you that is stirred and angry and wants to go somewhere and jump on somebody and hurt them because that's going to drain you of bringing joy and love to the union you have. Um, and trust that your sisters have a decision to make on their own, that you will help and support them if they died to help and support themselves, but that your life at this point has focused on taking care of you. And, you know, Karen, it's interesting because um, men often can feel that it is their job and their responsibility and a burden to take care of the women in their lives. And I mean, sisters and mothers. And it's nice to feel that someone's looking out for you, but if you feel that someone is gonna fight your battle, 
you may not decide and understand that actually the battle can only be fought by you. Mm. And so as women, you know, I'm going to call my brother. My brother will do something. My brother is not going to tolerate that. Well, I understand that I have a brother and sister. They're 11 years older. They're twins. And my brother would um, cover me life to the best of his ability. But it's my job to decide that my life and my safety and my joy and my mind and my body, that is my job to cover myself. And so I want women who are listening to not asleep in that fantasy that it's a man's job to cover and protect our dignity. That's my job. That's your job. Um, and I want women to really embrace that, hear that today. I, I love that response. And it is in line with the put the mask, your mask on first uh, uh, theory that you uh, tout, Dr. Robin, you know, that you have to view yourself, you have to save yourself before you can save someone else. Oftentimes you're right. We will put ourselves in harm's way when we're not fully girded and go down the abyss with whatever's going on and, and to look like we are, and and it looks like it, that we're the heroes coming in to rescue a situation, but you're right. Everybody has a life to live. Your and job then, is and then yeah. you're often angry when that person is back with the person, yes. whether it's a, a lover, a spouse or a girlfriend, and you are, have your mouth poked out, your lips poked out. You're not speaking. Everybody else is happy. And it's like, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with the picture is that I got out of my lane called my life. I mean, my life, and I tell people this, my life is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. I do not have time until I uh, address what's going right or wrong in my own life. And what I know is that will take until I am no longer here. And so... We don't have time to be rescuing other people. I just did a on-air event uh, a week and a half ago called Search and Rescue. If nobody looks for you, you find you. Because see, we've got this fantasy that we're going to be lost and somebody's going to come and find us. And I understand the fantasy. I've lived the fantasy. I've spent money on the fantasy. I've been heartbroken over the fantasy but it's a fantasy. And so the, the reality is the person who will come and find you is you. We're the person we've been waiting for to show up all of our lives. And so I, I really want to invite everyone, men and women, um, to think about what is true about our own life. And I know all these excuses about who needs us and what if they you know, they don't get off of drugs. Then they get off of drugs. And you, what, what do we do with that? We grieve it. We ache about it. And we live our lives with as much joy and purpose and promise as possible. Because the whole thing of, I'm going to be sad forever. Because that shows my loyalty to what it shows is that I do not think enough about me to find the sun, even when there is shadow on your life. Mm. It's hard, but it makes us have more to give to the world and not to be angry. A lot of us are resentful because we're saying that 
somebody tied our lives up. No, they didn't. We tied our lives up because we did not understand that my life is my job and yours. We got time for maybe one more call. Uh, I'm going to go to Jeanette in Virginia Beach. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. You're on with Dr. Robin. We got about three minutes left. Okay, hey. I just wanted to say I'm a I'm a first time caller. I love listening to you guys. Yeah. Karen, you're Thank the bomb. You. Um, Hello, happened. Smith, are we having that phone problem? Ugh, rats. I'm a caller. You know that's so not right, Doctor Robin. All right, um, Jeanette, I'm sorry. I'll give you all of the time. Did the, all the lines drop, Smith? All of them. Doreen, is she there in North Carolina? Can we try Jeanette again, please? Jeanette, I'm sorry. Are you there? Okay, call back. Doreen in the line. If she calls back, it won't be enough. Is Doreen there too? Okay. Our phone lines are jacked up. Not your fault. Not our fault. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Can we do that? Can we rebuke something in Jesus? Does that actually work? Listen, I do it all the time. I, listen, we can do that and take care of your phone line. I mean, see, this is the thing. We got to do the works. The face yes. of that means. So you can rebuke it, but I'm saying call whoever your phone carrier is Trust. and tell them to fix it. And maybe that is where Jesus gets in it. When we take <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, um, before I let you go, the, the notion of taking care of yourself there, there, when you said that about your mother, I think some people were horrified. Like, can you tell your mother, can you actually tell your mother something like that? And I smiled because I I believe I love myself enough that I'm not going to let you ever, I don't care who you are, talk to me in a way that disrespects me or talk, talk to me in a way that diminishes me. So I always have been that person with both of my parents to the point where I was like, you won't have the opportunity to be around me if y'all don't fix that. And they got well, it together. You, you, we teach people how to treat us by what we accept. So I didn't say to disrespect our parents, but I said that we need to respect ourselves and invite whoever is in our world to follow suit. And if they can't, don't have capacity, don't have desire, then we need to evaluate whether or not we want a relationship or how we want to have the relationship with someone who does not have the capacity to respect us. All right, Doreen, call back. Doreen, you have 30 seconds and Dr. Robin will tell us how we can engage with her on social media. So maybe she can answer that there if we don't have enough time. Doreen in North Carolina, hi. Oh, I love you both. Okay, Dr. Robin Smith, I salute you and you too, Karen. All I wanted to say is my mother and I were very strange. So to fix the problem and not victimize it, I went into nursing, became a psychiatric nurse because I wanted to know why my mother was an alcoholic and why she did things she did. By going to nursing school, I realized that my mother self-medicated a whole lot of issues. And now I'm in a place where I can help a whole lot of other people to take the blame off of other people, take my ownership, and teach them how to take their ownership. I salute you, ladies, and I thank you so much for being on today. You've given so much strength. And I'm on my way back to school for a psychiatric nurse practitioner at 55 years old. You better do that, Doreen. You better do it. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Robin, you've committed to come back on these airwaves with us. 
absolutely frequently i'm part of the family part of the tribe yes you you're gonna be here every month where can people follow you quickly uh instagram facebook twitter dr robin l smith just put me in my website uh facebook twitter linkedin instagram so you know every place there is i'm there 